Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for um, your life-changing word that we um, live on this um, side of, of uh, creation, this side of the cross, this side of technology, God, that we've we got a Bible on our phones, our, our iPads, our Kindles, laptops, we've got the analog Bibles. God, just grateful that, that uh, we've got your um, life-changing word to, uh, that we can access at any time. And I pray, Lord, that today as we uh, feed on your word, that you would um, fill us up, um, that you would change us, that you would um, inform us and remind us of your great love for us. And I pray, God, that the reminder of your great love for us would spur us on to want to um, love others, to edify one another uh, with our giftedness, to, um, to live sacrificial lives for your glory and for the good of one another, to uh, refresh one another with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that um, as there could be some distractions here today with uh, football coming here in about an hour, I pray, Father, that you would just, um, just help us during this remaining uh, time just to keep our, our, our eyes and our hearts and ears attentive to what it is you want to teach us this morning. God, I'm, I'm just a, a beggar in need of, of uh, your grace and mercy this morning. I pray that you would just uh, speak through, uh, through a broken uh, clay pot like myself. We love you and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. So if you are new with us here today, we're teaching through the, uh, the book of 2 Timothy. Um, this is, uh, we're in chapter uh, 1, as you just heard, verses 15 through 18. Um, we've titled the sermon series, Finishing the Race. And the reason we've titled it that way is because um, this is Paul's um, swan song. This is his last will and testament, if you will. Um, it's the last letter that he would write, um, period. And it's the second letter and last letter that he's writing to his, his good friend, uh, Timothy. Uh, Paul is uh, days, weeks, maybe months, but he's close to death. Um, he knows it, and everybody else that knows him knows it. Um, Paul is a man that, has, um, that prioritizes people, that relationship um, are, are very important to him. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, friendships today. And my, my prayer, as always, is that we don't just leave here and go, man, I just need to be a better friend. But I pray that we would leave here um, desiring to be a better friend, motivated by the friendship that Jesus has uh, shown to us, that he has called us into. You guys, you're all a friend to somebody, and somebody is a friend to you. Um, when you think about friends, what, what do you have in common? Just you know, Maybe actually just look to the person next to you and say, you know, my, my best friend, I have this in common with, her, with him or her. Go ahead and just take a second and do that. I think I heard Bron- Broncos fans about three or four times. Now, I want to just say this also. Even though there's some orange shirts, I mean, why are you here? I mean, isn't it the Bronco game at 11 today? You got it taped. I knew there had to be a reason. Exactly. First service was bigger than ever. Um, you are the true Christians in this service. Can we record the first service, please? I don't want, I don't want that out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so friends, uh, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a concept that, that friendships are based on the, the, the concept of me too, me too. Um, you might be sitting in a restaurant or um, uh, sitting in a coffee shop and you hear somebody talking about hunting or broncos or something that you're passionate about, you go, me too, 
I'm, I'm interested in that as well. That, that friendships are bound together by me too, by what we have in common. Um, I was thinking about, uh, Nancy and I were at dinner at the hearth about a year ago, and we were with another couple in this body. And we were talking about what could happen in Windsor, Colorado. Like, Windsor is such a cool town, how could it be cooler? And we talked about what towns should Windsor be modeled after. And Nancy and I, we like to hang out in Redondo Beach when we're on vacation. We say it should be like Redondo Beach, because we really like that place. Um, but it, this doesn't have an ocean, so it can never be like Redondo Beach, but it could be kind of cool like that. And we were sitting on, the, on the, the patio at the hearth, and there's this other couple that wasn't with us that just blurted out in the open, what they say? Oh, Santa Rosa. God bless you. I didn't know what he, Santa Rosa, what he was saying, and he turned out to be a good friend of mine over the last 12 months, actually, Frank and Meg. And what he was saying is that he was, he was listening in, and he's going, me too, I think that Windsor really has a lot of potential, and I want to chime in on this conversation. And over the year, over the last year, what we found is we're both dreamers, that we both are, like we see everything's an opportunity. So we've become fast friends. Nancy and I recently binged, yes, binged, on the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series. We watched all six of them in two weeks. And that's why I'm still working on the message, even as I stand right here. No, we finished the the series uh, two weeks ago. But these movies are three hours apiece, at a minimum. They take a long time. And as as we were looking at this, uh, one of the things that struck me are the loyal friends that Frodo has right? I mean, these guys are nuts, fat, hairy feet and all, that they follow him everywhere. These three fellow hobbit friends who grew up in the comfortable, fun, and safe shire are willing to go with Frodo um, on an adventure. And and when I look back, when I was younger, I always wanted to hop a train. Has anybody hopped a train in here? Have you done that? I've always wanted, is it too late to do it? It's not too late? It is too late. Okay, I've always wanted to hop a train or, or build a raft and float down Clear Creek. I've always, I've always wanted adventure. There's something about boys and adventures. So these three friends um, joined in with Frodo. They went on his adventure, but this, this fun-seeking adventure soon turned into their worst nightmare as it became face-to-face with danger, and they had to make a choice, actually, to stick with Frodo or head back to the comfort of the Shire where there's no danger. Ultimately, when the, when the heat got turned up, they were willing to stick and associate with and align with their friend Frodo, even though there was great danger and discomfort. The mission to call and carry and destroy the ring belonged to Frodo, but these friends would do anything to help him, wouldn't they? Anything. They believed in him and his mission. Listen to a couple of quotes from the movie. This is Sam Wise. Sweet, messed up hair, goofy Sam. And it's a time when both him and Frodo, at the end of the journey, they're overcome by exhaustion. And Sam says this to Frodo, do you remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? It'll be spring soon, and the orchards will be in blossom, and the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket, and they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields, and eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries, Mr. Frodo? Frodo says, no, Sam. I can't recall the taste of food, nor the sound of water, nor the touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark with nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of, wheel of fire. I can, I can see him with my waking eyes. And Sam says, 
Well, let us be rid of it. Let's continue on and get rid of the ring then. Let's get rid of it once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. What a great picture of friendship. That we can't necessarily carry another one's burdens. We can bear the burdens. Sam couldn't carry the ring. It was Frodo's mission, but he was willing to carry Frodo. And he did. Put him on his back and carried him. And somewhere towards the end of the journey, Frodo said to Sam, Sam, I'm glad you're here with me. Here at the end of all things, there's nobody that Frodo would rather have with him than his good friend Sam, who's willing to risk it all. You remember Mary, Mary and Pippin? Mary said this to Frodo, Frodo, you can trust us to stick to you, stick to you through thick and thin. We'll stick with you to the bitter end. You can trust us to keep any secret of yours. Closer than yourself, we'll keep it. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends. We know, Frodo, as Pippin continues, we know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid. But we're coming with you. We're coming with you, or we'll follow you like hounds. I know it's, it's J.R. Tolkien. It's fiction. But do you know friendships like that? Do you know friendships like that where, where friends, Christian friends, will follow you in your mistakes and all to the end? Are you that type of friend? That you are so united in Christ with a brother or sister that you will follow them to the end. That they may not be able to, to lift their head because they're in such a deep trial, but you'd be willing to lift them and carry them. Today we're going to get an upfront and personal look at one of Paul's friends who stood beside him in the most dangerous of circumstances. We'll be reminded of the centrality, God willing, of the gospel. Not God willing of the centrality, but we're going to, God willing, make the gospel central today as every Sunday we do and how it's the core, at its core, it's the motivation for sacrificial and loyal friendship. Let's talk about Paul just for a minute. Paul was a unique man. Paul was a people man, not a people pleaser, but he, was a, he loved to be with people. I don't know if he's an introvert or an extrovert, but he loved to be with people. Maybe he needed refreshment. I don't know. But he was a, a man of many relationships, and he brought constant refreshment to others, and he received refreshment from others. You don't have to go further than the, the end of this book, this, this letter called 2 Timothy. If you go to chapter 4, verse 9, this is, this is his last letter. And all he can talk about is the grace of God and people, and people. Listen to this, verse 9. We're going to go to the end. Right into Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to my ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, 
yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. This is Paul's second time in prison. The first time, he was in house arrest. And it was pretty, pretty cake, really. But now he's in a dark, damp, lonely dungeon, um, chained to a wall, maybe chained to another prisoner close to death. In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me. The Lord strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 19. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corneth, and I left Tromaphus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And if anybody names their child a name that ends with U.S., we are not going to dedicate them here. <laughs> no, we're glad to do that. I think I butchered most of those names. Paul was a man of many relationships. You can see at the very end of his life, all he can talk about is people and the grace of God. Paul is a, guy, a man who prayed for his friends constantly. Their ups and downs were his ups and downs. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, he says this, Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? What Paul is saying in, is that I will grieve when those grieve, and I will rejoice when those rejoice. People, relationships, and friendships consumed Paul. My wife is kind of the queen of one-liners. Most people don't know that, but she said to this to me last week. She says, you have to be a friend to have a friend. You have to be a friend to have a friend. And Paul was a friend to many. And he had friends all over Asia Minor. He loved being with like-minded saints, but he had a clear priority for sharing the gospel with those who were perishing. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 11. should be up on the screen. And what's happening here is Paul is writing to people in Corinth, to Christians in Corinth, and he wants to, he wants to come to them. He can't wait to be with them. But he says, I must stay in Ephesus a little while longer because, because there's a, a wide door for effective work. But, but listen to his desire to not just um, stop by, um, ring the doorbell, and put a hot cup of coffee or goat's milk on the front of the, or, or a Starbucks card, whatever they had there. Not that those are bad. I'll take a Starbucks card. But listen to him here what he does. He says, I will visit you, talking to the church in Corinth, I will visit you. After passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. Paul doesn't want to just check the box that I stopped by and I said hi. He wants to spend time with people. I hope to spend some time with you, he says, if the Lord permits. I'm coming, and I want to spend time with you, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There's only one thing that's more important to Paul on this earth than Christian friends, and that's non-Christians who God has drawn to himself, to himself that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So we see Paul had friends who would stand by him no matter what, and he had so-called friends who tucked tail and ran when the heat got turned up. And in today's passage, we're going to experience both type of friends, but first we're going to take a look at the, at the, at the negative, Phygelus and Hermogenes. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, Paul says, verse 15, among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. We don't know who these two men are. We know that they're, they're from Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. We know that they, that they um, ran from Paul, that they, that they turned from me, he says. And, and turning from me seems to indicate a particular event. You see, Paul's message um, and Paul didn't change. These, these men, there was some, some type of, the persecution was coming down on the church and coming down on Paul, and these men who once um, professed faith in the message, and they followed Paul in proclaiming the message, somehow they turned the other way because the heat was being turned up. You know, folks, when the heat is turned up, that reveals true friends. When the heat is turned up, that's when we see who our true friends were. I was just thinking, this isn't in my notes at all, but I was just thinking, Cuppy, when you were up here earlier, I thought two things. One is, when did you become so funny? Like, you were hilarious. (laughs) And two, um, I've known you longer than anybody in this church, friendship-wise, and you've stuck by me, thick and thin, when it would have been easy to boot me. Thank you. Paul says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Philegius and Hermogenes. He says, all turned away from me. You ever been in a place where um, you've been abandoned, um, you've been maybe deceived, um, and it feels like everybody has left you? Uh, Everybody didn't leave Paul. Everybody didn't turn away from Paul in Asia, but it felt that way to him. And that's evidence of Onesiphorus and also Timothy. They did not turn from Paul. Everybody wants to hang out with a winner. Everybody, nobody wanted to be a Rockies fan two years ago. Now everybody's on the bandwagon. Paul, when things are going great, when he's preaching the gospel and people are getting saved and he's healing people, everybody wanted to follow him. But when, but when the government put pressure on him and threw him in prison, it shows the true character of his friends and of the true Christian character of those who profess to follow Jesus but have turned because of persecution. Paul exhorts Timothy in verse 8 to not be ashamed. He does it directly in verse 8 and then he points to his own example of not being ashamed in verse 12 and then here in verse 16 he calls attention to Onesiphorus who is not ashamed of my chains. These two men were ashamed of Paul and they didn't want to be aligned or associated with him. They're willing to follow him and the message he proclaimed as long as it didn't mean any kind of trouble. Paul now contrasts these two cultural Christians, if I might, or these two mock friends to a genuine follower of Jesus and a true friend of Paul's. It's important to remember. It's important to remember what's going on in Rome. And one one author, at this time when, when Onesiphorus left Ephesus and went to Rome, it's important to know what was going on in Rome. And one author described it this way. Onesiphorus went to Rome at a time when every Christian was trying to get out. 
It's not like going to the Czech Republic or to Nigeria or even Burkina Faso. Um, those are places where, where there's not many Christians, but there's not people leaving because of persecution. That, that people were leaving Rome because they were refugees because they didn't want to get killed and they wanted the gospel to go forward. And Onesiphorus goes against the stream. You see, Nero was covering Christians with pitch and burning them to light his garden parties. Others were being thrown to the lines in the Colosseum to satisfy the public's perverted lust for blood. Anisphorus deliberately went into this dangerous situation and he tracked down Paul because he had heard that his beloved friend and spiritual leader was in great need. Who does that? Who does that? In leaving Ephesus for Rome, there, was, there were problems in Ephesus, but they weren't burning people as, as candles um, for garden parties. They weren't throwing people to the lions. But, but he leaves Ephesus for Rome. He jumps from the proverbial frying pan into the fire. And you know what? Apart from this, this scripture right here that we're reading, 15 through 18, um, and also in chapter 4, verse 19, we've never heard, um, the only time they mention Anisphorus is in these two, these two passages. And his, his fleeting appearance on this stage teaches us several characteristics about a refreshing friend. What is a refreshing friend? What are the characteristics that Anisphorus has? And, and where did he get those characteristics from? Let's talk about them. I've got four. The first characteristic of a refreshing friend is he or she is an edifier. And an edifier is somebody that builds up, not tears down. An edifier is one who spends so much time with a friend that they see the good in that friend, that they see the gifts, maybe, maybe through um, um, a lot of ugliness, but they see the gifts. They see the beautiful way that they're made. They edify them. And you see that, that Aniferous, actually his name means, Aniferous, Niferous, means um, bringer of profit. The bringer of profit. That, and profit means to, to increase someone's value. If you know, if you're walking by somebody and say, hey, I appreciate you, Ryan. What I'm saying, man, is I, I just want to, I mean, I want to build you up. I want, your, I want you to value yourself the way that God values you. And that's what edifier is. It's, it's building each other up. So the first characteristic of a refreshing friend is one who edifies or builds up. The second one is that a refreshing friend is sacrificial. Sacrificial. You see, you mind if I start calling Aniferous Ani? Is that okay? It'd be helpful to me. You know, it's like New Jersey calling Arnold Ani. I'm just going to call him Ani because it's, it's, there's no disrespect to that. Ani, in fact, I think Paul called him Ani. Ani... Ani, didn't, he didn't just pray for his friend. He didn't just pray. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to start with prayer. We've got this thing on the city. If you're not in the city, you need to be on the city because it'll, it'll instruct you of the problems and the heaviness and the trials that this body has. Um, you would have missed an opportunity to pray for somebody with cancer if you're not on the city in this body. It's, it's technology, but it's kind of the way that we, we connect and we share um, prayer requests together. And of course, we do that in community groups and on Sunday morning as well. But Ani didn't just pray for his friend, but he must have asked the Lord how he could be a refreshment to Paul. 
He, he earnestly sought Paul out, the, the passage says here. He earnestly sought him out. Now get this, Ephesus is 1,200 miles, the best I can tell on Google this morning, 1,200 miles from Rome. And I don't know if that, I think that's boat and donkey and foot. How long does that take? I don't know. It takes a long time, but it was sacrificial. Once the Lord told Ani to go, he went. And P.S., as we see in chapter 4, verse 19, he's got a household, he's got a family, and he left the family. You see, he wasn't ashamed of Paul's imprisonment, and he willingly associated with him. And it says he searched earnestly for Paul, and he found him. He searched earnestly in Rome where, where Nero is burning Christians and throwing them in the lions, and he's going, tapping guys on the shore, hey, you seen my friend Paul? You see, my friend Paul, you see, Paul was in an underground dungeon, probably with a hole like a man, manhole cover with a little bit of light coming in. It was cold, damp, dark, and he was lonely. And nobody knew where he was. It says he earnestly searched for him. It's something I've asked myself, and I know, I know the answer in my flesh. Am I willing to go the long haul with people? Are you willing to go the long haul with people? When it's, when it's hard, there's, there's low-hanging fruit, places to serve and people to serve. But, but if, if God calls you to serve somebody for the long haul and they don't get better, they don't turn from sin, their cancer doesn't go away. I think about my, my wife's sister, Lori, who's um, at home and is completely bedridden and she'll be bedridden until Jesus comes back. She needs a lift to get her out of bed. She needs a lift to get her into the wheelchair. They just bought her a little city bus for 4,500 bucks. They've got, they put her in the wheelchair. She drives on there. They drive her to different places. And her sister, that's her sister, Lori. Her sister, Amy, and brother-in-law, Troy, they live down the street. They're there every single day. I think I'd tap out. I don't know if I've got that in me. This is, this is the type of sacrificial action, the type of sacrificial friendship that Ani is to Paul. That he's willing to risk his comforts in order to serve the one that God has called him to serve. And this verse didn't tell Paul, hey, Paul, wrote him, scribe, um, on a tablet, I guess. Hey, Paul, um, if you need anything, just let me know. No, Paul needed something. He's in a dungeon. He's dying. He needed fellowship. And Ani, rather than thinking about himself and how inconvenient it would be to travel to Rome and find Paul, Ani demonstrates selfless, sacrificial love. He demonstrates courage and faithfulness by seeking out Paul. He was a type of friend who would do for his friends whatever God asked him to do. First two characteristics of a refreshing friend. Edifier and sacrificial. Third is a gospel refresher. He refreshed Paul. The refreshment was more, though, than material. Like I said, I'm sure he came with maybe a cloak. Um, he might have come with, um, I don't know if they had hand warmers, feet warmers, whatever. Came with things to help his material state. But, but it was empathetically spiritual. The, the, the root of this word refreshment uh, for Greek is actually the word soul. He refreshed his soul. And like Job's friends, like Job did in the beginning, they just came and sat with Job. And sometimes we just need to sit with each other and pray with each other. Maybe read scripture. We don't have to have any answers. Imagine putting yourself in Ani's shoes. What do I have to offer Paul? And he's, he's probably the one that led uh, Aniphorus to Christ. What do I have to offer? 
But he knew that God called him to this ministry to go to Rome and to refresh Paul's soul. And we refresh one another's souls by praying for each other, reading scripture and preaching the gospel to be reminded of of who you are in Christ. To remember that God can be trusted. To remember that you've been born again to a living hope. First three characteristics of a refreshing friend. He's an edifier. He's sacrificial. He's a gospel refresher. And, And third is he or she lives a life of service. It says in verse 18 that uh, Paul says to Timothy, you know very well in how many ways Ani helped me in Ephesus. His his service, his reputation was well known. This was a lifestyle for Ani. He had a reputation of merciful living in Ephesus. His life was one of serving others and everybody knew it. My question for you this morning. There's a book, there's a Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Some of you might have heard of it. There's a classic question that Blackaby asks. And I would challenge us this morning, are you willing to pray a prayer like this? Whenever you see somebody in the midst of a trial, it might be your next door neighbor, it might be somebody in this church. This is, a, this is in the context of Christians. So let's talk in that context. If you see somebody that is hurting and they're here, or maybe they're in Nigeria or Czech or whatever, are you willing to pray the prayer, God, what are you doing? And how do you want me to respond? God, what are you doing, and how do you want me to respond? Because oftentimes, I think, for me anyways, I just assume somebody else is on it. And that's not always the case. And if somebody else is on it, praise be to God. Thank you, Lord, for providing. And still, do you have something for me? I'm going to actually skip over a whole section of this for a couple reasons. One is time. The other, I don't fully understand it. How's that? And I'll just give you, I'll just give you a touch of this. In verse 16 and verse 18, Paul prays for mercy. In verse 16, he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And, I, and I th- I, this one makes sense to me. Where is his household? It's back in Ephesus. Where's Ani? Rome. How long does it take to travel 1,200 miles? Um, His family may never see him again. The persecution that's happening in Rome may very well go to Ephesus. So Paul prays for mercy for the household of Ani. And in verse 18, he prays, and this is the one that I don't get. He prays that the Lord would have mercy on, on on Ani in the last day. And the last day literally is judgment day. And we can assume that Ani's a Christian and that he's going to receive mercy. So I think it's probably a blessing of sorts. Don't know, but I'll I'll submit that to you for your your own study. So let's get back to Ani and the way he lived. What motivated him? What motivates you and I to be this type of friend? If you ask the preschoolers, they'd say what? Jesus. And it's true. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what compels Ani to live the life that he's living. You see, he knows that Jesus earnestly found him. 
when he was incapable of being found. That Jesus came to seek, earnestly seek and save the lost. Ani knew that. He knew that that God had shown him mercy, therefore that he is to show others mercy. 1 John 3, 16 through 18, listen to this. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Our response? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus is our true friend. It's his friendship that defines all Christian friendships. In Jesus, we have the truest of friends, the friend who laid down his life for his friends. In his life and death, we see true friendship. We see a friendship that draws and entices, a friendship that humbles and excites. We also see a friendship that calls us into a friendship with God for which we were made. A friendship that calls you and I to repentance for for not being the friend of God and to others that we were made for. You see, for in in Jesus' death on the cross, we came face to face with the means by which we can begin to be that friend to others. The cross turns you and I from our self-obsession and self-interest. And then the Holy Spirit comes alongside as a friend who faithfully helps us become the friend we were made to be. Friendship is at the very core of who we are as a people made in God's image. The God of the Bible is a God who knows friendship personally. As a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He has enjoyed intimate friendship from eternity. As a Trinity, it is in God's very nature to be a friend, and we are made to image that in relationships with one another. And at the cross, at the cross, the Godhead's friendship was fractured so that our friendship with God could be restored. The Godhead's friendship was fractured that the Father forsook the Son so that we would never be forsaken. And Jesus says this in John 15, 12 through 17, as we slide into communion. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. And I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So we get to celebrate communion. This is our monthly communion service. And communion is a reminder of God's friendship with us. 
It's a reminder, as it says in Ephesians, that we were, that we were, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God in his mercy made us alive in Christ Jesus. It's a reminder that when we were enemies, he made us friends. It's also a reminder that we are forever friends, that there was nothing that we did that was good enough to earn friendship, and there's nothing that you can do that's bad enough to be unfriended. And we're going to celebrate communion. So I just want to encourage you to uh, come up, take the elements back to your seat. Um, I want to say this as well, that um, if you've got some uh, rebellion in your heart, here's what I mean by that. If, you've, if you are unrepentant towards a, a particular sin, um, I'd ask you to either uh, repent from that sin. Tell the Lord that, agree with God that you're in sin. And be resolved to, to ask him for the power to overcome that in the coming days, weeks, years. Maybe it might take a lifetime. You don't have to be perfect to come to this table. But you do need to have a relationship with the perfect God. And I just want to encourage you with that. And if you don't know Jesus, if, he, if you have yet to become um, his friend, if he has not drawn you in, if you've not put faith and trust in Jesus alone for the remission of your sins, um, don't come up. We're glad you're here. But don't come up. This is, for, this is for family. And so come up. Uh, take it back to your seat. Um, do business with the Lord however he leads you. And then I'll come up and I'll, I'll lead us together. Then he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood of the new covenant. Drink as often as you remember me. Let's pray. God, I got all kinds of songs running in my head. I love music. Wish I could wish you would have made me to sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Grateful that uh, even um, as we live in this country, that um, we are so sheltered from the persecution that so many experience because of the cross of Christ around this world. And Lord, we, uh, uh, we don't want to foolishly step in harm's way, but we want to be men and women who, um, who are motivated by um, our, our relationship, our friendship with you, Lord Jesus, that we're uh, compelled by your love to want to love others well. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would be a church that um, isn't uh, striving to make a name for itself, that we're not a church that is, um, because of a lack of understanding, try to earn and gain more of your love. But God, that we would be a church that um, every opportunity we get on Sunday morning, community groups and conversations that we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard, that we can't stop talking about the love of Christ. And I pray, God, that the, the reality of the gospel, how it is um, taken a hold of our lives, would, would change us, continue to change us from the inside out. And then we would be uh, radical life changers by the power of your spirit for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.